This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back live with a fantastic show, so you've got to stay tuned. We have three very special guests tonight, starting with Beatriz Martinez of Triumph Steps. She is here to discuss curbing the current mental health crisis in kids' emotional literacy. Then our second guest of the hour is the co-founder of CityGrader. CityGrader is a -a one-of-a-kind civic network that allows taxpayers to grade the performance of cities and their local governments, their teachers and their police officers, and write reviews that other people see, including some of my reviews that are up there and you should check out. And our last guest of the hour is former state representative Robert Asensio. He was a Democratic state representative who is now running for County Commission District 11. Just announced his campaign over the weekend against incumbent Joe Martinez. Right now, the Miami-Dade Commission is facing an exodus due to term limits that is going to break up quite a few political machines that have been ongoing in South Florida for decades. And we will be losing commissioners like Dennis Moss. So there's a lot of action going on at the county commission over the next 16 months, I would say, 15 months. And you're going to hear a lot about it. The primary election is on August 20. Well, it's in August of 2020. So it's something that's actually happening earlier than your general election for president. And we're going to have a lot more guests, just like uh, State Rep. Asensio. We had Moreland Hill and Johnny Freras uh, all on the program, all running for county commission. So that's something to look forward to as the year goes on. But this is the part of the program where you get a few minutes to speak directly with you, the listening audience, about issues of importance that impact us citywide and sometimes beyond. And today I wanted to discuss the city of Miami's lovely scooter pilot program. I'm sure you've seen the scooters flying around our sidewalks for the last couple of months on the east side of Miami, located in what's known as District 2, which is the easternmost uh, city commission district in Miami that includes Edgewater, Brickell downtown, uh, Morningside, Bay Point, the Design District, uh, you know, uh, the North Grove, South Grove, and I think a little bit of Shenandoah. Uh, There's these electric scooters, and yeah, you know, I know that a lot of people love riding them. You know, they're fun. Unfortunately, there is a pilot program that is spiraling, spiraling out of control in this city for these scooters because we lack the very basic necessities to operate one of these pilot uh, these scooter programs in the longer term safely, effectively, and in a way that doesn't disturb residents' quality of life. And I'll tell you why. I recently attended a public meeting held by Commissioner Ken Russell, the incumbent who is up for re-election against the challenger Jim Freed in District 2's off-year election coming up on November 5th. And Mr. Russell 
gave a poignant speech about how there are three things that are essential to having a quality scooter program. First, you have to have education so that people know what they should and should not do on these pretty dangerous scooters that go 15 miles per hour with no physical effort. The second thing that Commissioner Russell said is important is to have safety, safety of gear, people wearing helmets while they're riding their scooter. All makes sense. And the third thing that Commissioner Russell said is imperative if you want to have a successful scooter program is dedicated bike lanes, something that Miami sadly lacks in most areas. But he's all in favor of extending their pilot program as long as they'd like. Why? As he told the residents of 50 Biscayne, there's a lot of money in it. Venture Capital is sponsoring these scooters. So Mr. Russell is all in favor of that. Well, let me tell you why I'm not. Besides the fact that you have three different prerequisites, and those are things you need before you have a successful scooter program, you have something else going on, which is that there's no enforcement. There's no enforcement of any of the scooter rules. I tried one out. It took about 15 seconds, maybe 10 seconds, to flip through all of the safety instructions. I went pretty slow. And there is no way to prevent somebody from put leaving their scooter on the ADA section of the sidewalk, which happens all the time, leaving them across sidewalks, leaving them in front of even my front door. But even worse, there's no way to enforce the services ban on teenagers. Anybody under the age of 18 is not allowed to ride. Surprise, that's probably like a substantial amount of riders on these things. While we had this meeting with Commissioner Russell, while we had the meeting, there was a group of teenagers riding around Bayfront Park, which highlighted another little problem that, you know, these things are supposed to be banned from our public parks. But as Commissioner Russell noted, the police can't enforce it. Citizens can't enforce anything. And at best, if uh, you want to become part of the scooter cleanup team, you can get some credit for riding on the scooter. No thanks. These scooters are just not being done right. And the worst part of it all is that I've seen a lot of parents riding on their scooters in tandem with children. And I witnessed a near accident on the sidewalks of Coconut Grove in broad daylight. These are dangerous devices. Going 15 miles per hour may not sound like a lot, but it is enough to cause really serious harm. Atlanta canceled their program after a fatality. Well, I asked Commissioner Russell at that public meeting if he was unafraid to have blood on his hands because of his pilot program. His answer? He pivoted. He didn't answer the question. He seems perfectly fine with it, though. What he said was, we should extend this. Well, I strongly disagree, and I've stated the reasons why right here. We need safety, enforcement, a geofencing system, and a real method of keeping underage drivers off of these rental scooters. Unfortunately, the city of Miami is just not mature enough to handle a bunch of electric scooters. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back live with Beatrice Martinez of Triumph Steps. Uh, Beatrice, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Thank you so much for having me, Grant. I'm very excited about this opportunity. As am I. So tell our listeners a little bit about Triumph Steps and how you guys help kids understand their emotions and extend their ability to listen to others. Okay. All right. So um, Triumph Steps is an emotional literacy program. I like to call it emotional literacy because it's kind of the terms that schools understand, children understand, and I always go by um, helping them understand that happiness is a skill that can be learned. And so if it can be learned, obviously we can teach it, and the best place to teach it would be in schools, and we forgot completely to teach the most important class in schools. So my idea is to um, to teach each child universally, not, you know, not in therapy, but that we actually bring a class into the school system that would be called hopefully emotional literacy, and that we would be teaching children that thoughts and emotions are connected. And if we understand that thoughts and emotions are connected, then if we change our thoughts, we can actually change our emotions and we can be happier. That is a phenomenal point. I'd like to just point that out. That is a a phenomenal idea. So you you guys are trying to actually make a formal school course out of it? Well, we we have a program. My my dream, it is to make it a a course. I go to Tallahassee. I advocate in uh, Washington, D.C. to make this a course, just like math and science. So children would be, because there are programs that address emotional literacy. They call it social emotional learning as well. But the problem is that we have these courses, and if we don't give time in the school day to do these things, it really becomes one more thing for for teachers to do. And it's not done because teachers are very concerned and, you know, they have to be very busy about the standardized testing and about GPA scores and basically teaching children just factual knowledge. And so they don't make time for this class. So one of my big advocacy efforts when I go to Tallahassee, it's making them understand that Yes, we have, you know, because the the Florida Department of Education actually addresses 12 components, and in one of them, they have bullying prevention, substance abuse, they have healthy relationships, and they have mental health. But we have all these programs, and we don't give in the schedule a time to really teach it. So they Ah. begin to put these little programs in PE or in any art class, or, you know, they try to fit it in anywhere they can. And it really becomes one of these check boxes. Okay, yes, I did it here, right? I, I did uh, t- healthy relationships or, or, or teen dating violence. And, and so it becomes like a check box. My, my dream is to really make emotional literacy a class. So children would have math and language arts and then emotional literacy. Well, they, there would be a time where we can really uh, have the, the, uh, the ability to, to teach these principles to children. So uh, when did you start Triumph Steps? Well, 
Um, try and uh, I'm a psychotherapist and I've been in mental health for over 25 years. So I've yeah. had a community mental health center uh, for the past 18 years. Oh, what's it called? And it's called Healthy Connections. Okay. Uh, it's very close to Coral Gables Hospital. So we've had, you know, we've been helping the community there for many, many years. A few years ago, I just had like an awakening in terms of my professional life. I was getting kind of in a rut in the, in the community mental health center. And I just, you know, started to meditate and to kind of pray for guidance for something new. This is how Triumph Steps kind of came up. And one of my ideas is that if we teach children early on to think correctly, they're not going to end up in my clinic a few years down the road. You know, that's that's my hope that that if we do this universally, we would you would definitely be helping with the mental health crisis that we're presently experiencing. You know, we're very concerned about all the shootings and 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 kids uh, killing themselves at a younger and younger age. The suicide rate is, has increased tremendously. You know, so we're worried about all these things, but we're not really bringing something as simple as teaching them how to be happy early on in school. You know, that that's a very interesting approach to all of this. I think it's amazing. Um, at what Thanks. age would you start these kind of lessons? They start from, you know, we can teach children from K through 12, all throughout their their school experience. I You know, we have children there for 12 years. I feel like we have a captive audience for 12 years where we could be drilling these things in, in terms of the skills and and uh, and the ways that we need to be happy for 12 years. I, I think by that time we could really have laid a foundation that would be very strong to, to have a much happier uh, society. So we, we start early in, in, in pre-K. We can start. Wow, that's that's a great time to start. I mean, kids really understand uh, this curriculum all the way down to pre-K? You know that it's so simple. I have some posters. I have, like, very, very uh, powerful visual aids for the little ones. And I have some posters where I have, like a, like, a head with a beautiful garden. And I always tell them, this beautiful garden are all your positive thoughts. And any child knows what a positive thought is, you know, the thoughts that make you happy. The moment fear comes in, I tell them that, it's like weed going in a garden. Weed grows very fast and it kills all those positive thoughts. So I make them aware of what are things that can, you know, that can destroy that garden. What are some of the phrases that they say to themselves that would create fear and would then destroy the, the beautiful flower garden that they could have? Just with that visual aid, they understand what they need to do with their mind. Also, they, they, they catch themselves and they say, oh, this is something that makes me, you know, this is a thought that makes me feel good and makes me feel happy, and this is one that doesn't. They start to differentiate and since very, very early on. So we use different strategies, um, same concepts, different strategies to help them understand depending on their age. So how do long? Do have another poster? Go oh, okay, go. No, no, no. Keep talking. Finish your thought. That we, we have we have another poster that um, that it's our step six, which is life is a boomerang. Be prepared to welcome what we give. So we have a child like throwing some flowers to the universe, I guess, to, and then those flowers coming back to them. And they clearly understand that basically their actions have reactions, right? And then we have the little other person next to it 
throwing things that are not so good and then they're all coming back to them. And we explain to them that basically our actions have reactions and have consequences, but not only our actions, also our thoughts. Thoughts have consequences, right? When we think positive thoughts, we know that, you know, neuroscience tells us that we, you know, we, we, we do the serotonin and all the happy hormones. Uh, in stress, cortisol is what they release. So even thoughts have consequences. So they get those pictures and they start to, to really get the message. Well, I, I, you know, I think that that's something that's deeply overlooked in our society. People don't realize that, you know, these thoughts are linked to physical responses inside of our body internally. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. thoughts and feelings really have a physical impact, a psychosomatic Absolutely. impact. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so, I mean, so that's, that's what we're trying to teach. So, I mean, you know, it's it's a fascinating idea. Um, how long would this curriculum go on for? I mean, like time wise within the day, like would you adjust it to be, you know, a little lengthier for like teenagers or how, in an so, ideal world? So what yes. would you do? In the ideal world, I would uh, for the little ones, I would probably do an hour a week, and I will divide that hour into 12 minutes a day because they can get some of the messages. You know, the program has some audio messages where where we try to um, have the child listen to it in a more relaxed, calm way because we already know with neuroscience that when we're in a certain level of uh, relaxation, we learn easier, right? So we, we would use tw- probably 12 minutes a day for the little ones, and for the other ones, we would also do the 12 minutes a day, but maybe one, you know, one hour a week of more extensive uh, talk and, and where they're able to express a little bit more of what's going on and, and give them more, more tools. So that would be, to me, the ideal. We don't have to, but it does, you know, it, it is important to do it regularly. I always tell my, my clients, my patients, my, my schools that this needs to be considered like the hygiene of the mind. So no, I think when it's, you it, think about it, it. You know what? I think it's think a realistic it. goal. And something funny that I learned in the radio business um, is that, you know, they, they are, they're always monitoring what people are listening in the radio business. They have these people monitors and they give them out to, you know, a select group of surveyors and, and find out what they listen to. And they said that, you know, based on new technology and, you know, Internet radio and all that stuff, that the typical Mm -hmm. listener stays tuned in for about 20 to 25 minutes. Whereas, Mm -hmm. like, they, you know, they used to always sell one-hour programs on the radio. Now they've started selling a lot more 30-minute programs, which, you know, on the radio, Mm -hmm. like commercial radio, are 25 Mm -hmm. minutes long. Because that's Mm -hmm. the attention span. That's what you get. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. I think it's it's Mm -hmm. a, a great idea to fit a very important message into a shorter time frame. Mm-hmm. A little bit of hygiene of the mind on a daily basis, right? We brush our teeth every day. We take a shower every day. Well, the mind also needs that little bit of hygiene on a daily basis. And then we hope that the child obviously is going to pick up some of these skills and practice them throughout the day. But it's a, it's a continuous reminder, and that, that should be our goal in schools. Well, you know, a- another issue that... Um, you know, I've seen emphasized regarding this is connection to community. Um, it, this is something that would greatly impact people's connection to their community. Isn't that true? Absolutely. How so? This why is, why is, is that? I, Explain that. 
because that's really I, I, I'm, interesting. I'm so grateful. I'm so, so grateful to uh, the Children's Trust because they actually have them, you know, they, they were able to to give Triumph Steps uh, a couple of grants to help us connect a lot more with the community mm-hmm. and teach in, in this whole thing. Parents are key element to to this, and also obviously the teachers. And so, and for for them also to understand these concepts and 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 get the knowledge of hey, this is what we're trying to do with the children. But you also need to be able to you know help your child that if they're thinking this way, we're not going to be putting all these erroneous thought patterns and and luggage and baggage that we have that we're able to actually help the child also do what they need to do to to be happier. One of the the um, elements that it's tied into happiness, the, you know, one of those high, high uh, elements is sense of community. So when we're actually connected with our community, we're much happier. We're, we're individuals that just came to to cooperate with each other and to collaborate and to just you know that's what we were born for and uh, and we have kind of in society kind of thought that we have to you know be in this competition and when we already know and science already know and plenty of research tells us that when we cooperate with each other when we collaborate with each other we get much farther ahead in life than when we're competing with each other and that is i think um what the the children's trust has allowed me to do when i go into the community and, and i'm able to to talk about all these all these principles. Well, that, that's one of the things that we often discuss about arts education and particularly music education, because music is mostly a team sport, which is that mm-hmm. it enhances uh, cooperation, which yields mm-hmm. benefits just because of learning how to cooperate later in life and how, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of damage going on in our school system because all of these arts programs, especially the ones like music and, and theater, mm-hmm. Uh, and dance mm-hmm. that teach collaboration and art, you know, kind of. I mean, <laughs> it's different pursuit, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. but all these collaborative, uh, you know, efforts that are not, uh, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic have been kind mm-hmm. of trimmed away from the school day. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think there's a big group of people helping them understand the big mistake that we've made, and they are bringing those those programs back little by little. So I'm, I'm very optimistic about, you know, what, what's happening. And, and with all the mental health, you know, crisis and the, the shootings and what's going on, I think they're more, they're awakening. They're, you know, they're listening more to really the things that are helping uh, a society to to reach you know fulfillment and, and purpose and it is not by learning math or science i always tell people that listen as a psychotherapist in the 25 plus year that i have in mental health i have never once in my entire life had a patient come in depressed because they forgot trigonometry from 10th grade right or <laughs> oh my god i'm so anxious i don't remember who fought in world war one never right the things they come in all boil down to the same thing. You know, they may have been having problems with their wives or their uh, their uh, husbands, their children. Somebody, you know, they may have lost a, a relationship. Anything that happens when you really boil down to see what it is, it's that they're looking for tools to be happier. That's basically what they're all looking for. And we basically have completely forgotten to, to teach them how to be happy. No, I, you know, it's a fascinating concept. I think that it's something that totally has a place 
in our schools and, you know, could really make a huge impact with the next generation. Beatrice, tell our listeners, where could they take this conversation onto the Internet after the program? Where can they find you on Twitter and Facebook or a website? Where can they keep in touch? Yes. My my website is Triumph Steps Triumph, and I'm gonna spell it. People think that I've I've said Trump. It's not Trump. It's Triumph. Close, but it's Triumph. T R I U M P H S T E P S Steps TriumphSteps.com is my website, and they can follow it, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Triumph Steps, and I'm also on on Facebook. We actually have an event coming up for parents. Um, on October 12th at the uh, South Point Elementary School. And I would love for our listeners, you know, if they're able to come, to come join us. The uh, the event is going to be posted in my Facebook page. And I would love to have as many parents and, and um, yeah, and listeners to, to come join us. One more time, tell our listeners where they can meet you, when they can meet you, excuse me, at South Point Elementary and the address if you have it on hand. South Point Elementary. Ooh, it's in it's in Miami Beach. Let me see if I have it handy here. That's that's over I'm, on I'm gonna have it. on Fourth Street, uh, right? Yes. Uh huh. It is on Fourth Street. Like Fourth yes, Street, correct. Alton, something like that. South Point Elementary. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Over and it on would Miami be Beach. in in Miami Beach. It would be October twelfth, thirty a.m. to twelve thirty p.m. So it would okay. be three hours where I'm gonna be giving parents all the resources and and tools that they can have for them to be happier so they can transfer this to the children. And, you know, and we start changing um, what we're seeing at the present moment. Well, if you're listening, the event will be posted in, in my Facebook as well. So triumph steps. Well, Beatrice, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to come on the show tonight. No, no, no. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was exciting. So I hope we can do this many more times. You've got it. And All right. And we'll be right back. This All is the right. Only in Miami
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.OnlyMiamiRadio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at OnlyMiamiRadio.com. And we are back live with City Grader co-founder Tony Newell. Tony, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Grant, thank you very much, and it's good to be with you. It is my pleasure having you on the show. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about CityGrader.com, your website? Sure. Um, well, CityGrader is a web-based platform. It's, it's a website um, where any anybody um, can sign up for free, um, create an account, and grade and review their local government or local government employees. Um, so anything down from the county or from the county level down, county, city, um, or town. Very cool. Very cool. Are you guys national? Uh, we will be. We um, so right now we have we have a database that has all uh, municipalities and counties in the country. So it's it's forty thousand or so, um, but we've only loaded Florida. Um, so that lets you search a city or a county. Uh, what we have to do is layer on top of that um, employee data so that our users can search employees that they've they've um, dealt with and leave a review. And on that front. We have virtually all of Florida loaded. Um, we started off in Dayton Broward and then started to move up and just recently expanded throughout the state. Oh, very cool. No, no, I understand. It's a big undertaking. <laughs> it is. It, it's, there's a lot of data that you need to collect. Um, we do it mostly through public records requests, but we have cities and, and counties now starting to work with us. And so it's a little easier to get data from them. Oh, you mean um, they actually give you your public records? That's amazing. <laughs> I'm starting. I'm gonna start calling you when I need something. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, we've uh, we definitely had it, it was a mixed bag. I can tell you that for sure. Um, we've also, you know, sent out many public records requests out of state. Uh, we have the data for the top 100 largest cities uh, in the country: so New York, L.A., Chicago, San Fran, Dallas, etc. And what you, what you find there is a lot of the biggest cities, actually, it's really easy. It's almost an automated process. Um, but some of the mid-tier and smaller cities, you know, you start to you get a little bit of pushback. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you want to know about us that we're right, required to right. tell you by law? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, so what, what inspired you guys to, to found City Grader? Well, um, my wife and I are, are in the construction business or, or were in the construction business. It's our original career. Um, I'm a GC. It's, it's um, it, building and, and restorations was, was the family business uh, since my grandfather's time. And so I, I grew up in the industry. I dealt with a great many building inspectors, uh, code enforcement officers, uh, and other you know, municipal em employees. All the nicest and people. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. Some are, some are the greatest, and some of as as you know, uh, definitely aren't. Um, but in either instance, whether it's a great experience or a bad experience, it's it can be very very difficult to leave feedback that you know, regardless of what direction it cuts in. Um, well, if, if there's one thing I've learned about cities, it's that if there's one thing they like less than public records, it's feedback. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and I have I mean, I can tell you a, a funny story where um, a certain county near near us, let's say, 
where we were doing some work and we went in to meet with a building inspector and they were real proud of their new feedback system, which was having the building inspector after they, uh, or the plan reviewer, after they meet with you, hand you a piece of paper and say, we would like your feedback and stand there over you while you, while you filled out this piece of paper and <laughs> where you're supposed to be grading this person's performance. And then you literally were supposed to hand it back to them. Brilliant idea. They know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's Potemkin feedback. It's, it's, sometimes it's, it's a, they, they, they ostensibly are making the effort, but you know, it's not really going anywhere. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> that's a, that's a good one. Um, no, I, I've left a couple of reviews on there uh, already. Uh, one of them is quite popular. Uh, I think it's the city of Miami city attorney. Um, so, I mean, are you finding across the board, Do you ha are you starting to get some aggregate data now that you've got, like, most of Florida covered? Are you starting to see, like, you know, a, a division amongst cities? Or, like, are you starting to see, like, kind of an even flow of these comments? Because I noticed that you rate each city based on the aggregate comments you get for that city. So, like, for example, Miami is rated a C because it's got, like, 34 F's and 32 A's and then a scattering <laughs> right. of in between. Not a lot of in between. It's either A or F pretty much. Probably A's are all coming from city employees. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Possibly. We, we yeah. discouraged that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But are, are you starting to get some aggregate data that's starting to tell you some trends in people's satisfaction with local government, like across a broader swath of Florida? It's still hard to say. I, I would say the sample size is still too small to really be able to make any conclusions either way. I, you, well, first let me say it's great to have you on the site, and we love having you as a user. Um, I've seen Thank you. your, your content, and you, you, you said it before. You see a lot of A's and a lot of F's. Um, usually, people who are motivated to use the site, uh, at least at this stage, because it's we're it's early on. Um, they're, they've had some kind of extreme experience. Either it was extremely positive or extremely negative. Um, and so what we're, we're finding is a lot of the cities are ending up kind of in the middle of the road because of these this, this multitude of A's and F's. We're starting to see now, as the site's picking up steam, um, some more nuance. We're starting to see some grades in, in the middle of the spectrum come in. Um, so I think over time, it'll, you know, the, the data will smooth. We'll see how each city's doing um but right now yeah it's it's just a lot of extremes in, in, in both directions yeah yeah i'm interested to see if that'll continue because I, I think it's a very fascinating website for the fact that you will eventually draw a massive amount of aggregate data that will really tell people about their local governments uh and uh, you know information about their local governments in a way that you just can't get right now. You don't know if your local government is responsive or not until you walk through those doors because you need something. And by that time, it's kind of too late. You don't know who to talk to. You don't know where to go, who's going to work with you, who isn't. It's uh, it's kind of a hit or miss, you know? You're right. And, and um, you know, right now, we we don't really market. We we rely on word of mouth. We're, it, we, we rely on organic growth. Um, and what that tends to do is bring in power users, people who are highly engaged, highly informed. Um, and I think over time, what we'll do is maybe get 
a, a more accurate sample of the population when people who aren't as motivated come in just because it's something that everyone's starting to do. Um, you know, what, the, what we're ultimately trying to do, I like I make this joke, we're, we're, we're like baby group right now. Um, we're, we're a review <laughs> site where you grade and review, okay. you know, public uh, entities. But what we're moving toward is what we call a civic network. Um, we see this space in between, for instance, Facebook is the social network. Next door is a community network. We think there's a space where there could be a civic network for people like you um, and, and other engaged stakeholders in the city can create an identity. On CityGrader, uh, online. right? On yes. CityGrader.com. Right. Exactly. Go to CityGrader.com. And then what they would do is they would create a profile. They would they would list their interests, what they're, if they're activists. Are you into historic preservation? Are you concerned about development? You think there's too much or too little traffic? What's your issue? What do you do? What's your civic footprint? And these are things that we want people to be. We want people to be able to build identities around this. We want to be able to acknowledge this for people, and that also helps cities identify the most valuable feedback. I think when if Grant Stern leaves a review, you know that's something I think any city should pay attention to, because you're engaged, and you're influential, and so we want to be able to do is 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 identify those people, um, whether whether you're Grant Stern or just a regular citizen. We want you to be able to to really create an identity on our site. Well, you know, I, I think it's great to give these local governments more feedback because, like you said, you know, you went to one county or city and, you know, they're like, well, our feedback mechanism is tell the person that's uh, servicing your, your account exactly what you think of them in front of them. And that's not a very effective tool, but I, I haven't heard a lot about uh, feedback mechanisms for most uh, cities or counties in, in the state of Florida. I really don't hear about it. So I think it's no, a, a new forum that's really sorely needed. Right. You're right. And we think that by doing it as an independent, independent party and doing it transparently, then you know that the bad comments, the bad feedback isn't being swept under the rug to save face. Um, that's the thing about, you know, Cities and counties love to use social media. They love to use Facebook and Twitter and next door, but they control what they put out that way. You know, try leaving uh, a critical post on your city's Facebook page. It's not going to happen. The best the, the best you can do is go into a comment thread. Maybe you'll be number seventy, and say something that no one's going to see. And uh, the worst is that they might gonna... they might censor you and delete your comments. So I know exactly. All about that. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so we yeah. go ahead. Well, so we we, uh, yeah. we really want to have this this space where people can uh, they they can trust that every bit of information, every bit of feedback, whether it's positive or negative, is coming in and isn't being censored. That's really cool. Now, there's one uh, uh, there's something I'd like to ask you about. I haven't been able to find the feature personally, but I've been like noodling around on the site. Um, but it's called open access. And, yes. you know, I, I, I read about this. So it allows you guys to basically make a public email chain. So explain how that works and why. And we got like two minutes left here. Sure. Correct. So open access is a feature and we're beta testing it right now. Uh, the city of Miami. So if you go to the city of Miami's page on citygrader.com, um, also Miami Beach, Palm Beach County, Miami Dade County and Coral Gables. In those cities, there'll be a section, and it's right there at the top if you go onto the city's page, and it says open access. And it looks like, a, like an inbox. And what ah, it lets you do gotcha. is it lets you send an email to 
any of the whitelisted addresses we have. So you can't just come up with an address. You can't send your mom an email. But what we do is we have all the elected officials. We usually have the city manager, uh, city attorney, um, city clerk. And we have those email addresses available to you where you can select one and then you can send an email. And that email will go to that person through their regular email system. They'll receive it like a regular email. It'll let them know this is a public email. And anyone else who's on City Grader, City Grader can read it. And most importantly, any response that comes by back, any reply to that uh, sender will then also be an open access. So it's a completely transparent, what we call open access email system. So it's like Twitter for email, but with your elected officials. Exactly. We think Twitter is a little fast and, uh, you know, the, the character limits is a little difficult to it makes it difficult to have a substantive conversation. We know like serious matters usually need to be taken care of in, in longer form. So we wanted to do this with email. It's a very cool idea. I, I mean, I really, really like it. And I think it's something that, you know, cities were never, ever going to a million years going to do for themselves. That's just, you know, <laughs> I mean, I agree. I agree. <laughs> so, uh, Tony, tell our listeners a little bit about where they can find citygrader.com, but also like your social pages, any other contact information that our listeners really need to, to get intimate with citygrader.com. Great. Sure. It's, it's real easy. Just go to www.citygrader, it's all one word.com. Um, and there you can sign up. It's very, very simple. Uh, you can sign up using your Facebook account, or you can sign up just with an email and a password that you set. And you go from there. From there, you just search your city, your county, your employees, and you can start leaving reviews or starting discussions. If you don't want to leave grades, you just want to talk about something, you can do that too. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, um, Instagram, and you can see what we're up to on, on those uh, platforms as well. But I really encourage everyone just to go straight to the site, sign up, it's free, and uh, have at it. Be heard. Well, Tony, I really appreciate you taking the time to come onto the program tonight. Well, thank you, Grant. It was, it was great being with you. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. 
news, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at OnlyMiamiRadio.com. And we are back with former Democratic State Representative Robert Asensio. He is a candidate for Miami-Dade Commission, District 11. Robert, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Grant, I'm so happy to be on the radio with you. Thank you for having me on. It is my pleasure. I ho- Is this the first interview in your Miami-Dade Commission campaign? Yes, it is. The first official interview of my launching of the candidacy. Well, that is awesome. I'm, really I'm thrilled to have you. I think we got your first interview for your state representative run for your first time, right? Yeah, it's a tradition now. It is a tradition. I think we need to keep it going. So, Robert, tell us a little bit about why you chose to run for Miami-Dade Commission in District 11, which is sometimes called the West End. It is the west side of Westchester and Kendall. Yes. First of all, it's the district that I live in. It's also the district that I represented in in the House, House District 118. Um, This time around, I lived in the district for 20 years. There's just so much uh, going on in that district and so many needs from transportation to housing to health care to environment. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, you know, I served in the House for two years, but um, I feel all politics are local, and I'm honored to be able to enter this race and hopefully be a voice for our community in the, in, in the, dis, in the on the dais of the county commission. You know, now, Grant, Yeah, I, I go out there and speak with a lot of people, and our voices are just not being heard or needs are not be intended to at the county commission the way they should be. Well, you know, you when you posted your announcement, you shared an article that really opened my eyes. I mean, I knew it was something like this was happening, but I didn't realize the broad scope of it. But Miami-Dade's commission is going to be completely remade in 2020. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and why, and why this is a unique opportunity? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, many of us, and, and I was a police officer for 26 years, and uh, part of my career I spent working in public corruption and running a public corruption unit or being part of a public corruption unit, as in uh, going after those that are elected, appointed, and or otherwise work for government. So what we often think about of, of our politicians is they're corrupt. But, but honestly, there's a lot more here. So part of that comes from people being in office for basically – decades and generations we now have a generations yeah, yeah yeah and now what we have and and we have legacy politics you know one one commissioner leave it to another commissioner elected official leave it to their wife their son who you know family member and it becomes business as usual so now we have term limits so as of 2024 because of the term limits basically all 13 members of the commission would have been changed but as of right now in the election of 2020 very very important there's seven members of the commission that will be changed. They're up for re-election. That are term um, limited. And the county mayor. Right. Well, six are, I believe six are term limited. And then Danielle Levine-Cava, who's running for mayor, she's right. jumped out of her seat and so will vacate her seat. And therefore, that makes her seat open. There, so there and are then, seven open seats. Seven open seats. And the mayorship. Correct. Out of 13. Out of 13. So, so there's a majority yes. on the commission up for grabs. And I, that's the first time in my lifetime um, that I've seen that. Oh, and, yeah. You know, for those of us, for those of us that are from Miami-Dade County, those of us that like really me. have a stake in the game, we know that our voices haven't been represented on the, uh, on, on the dais. So much so, look at the amount of taxes, compare the amount of taxes that we pay, whether property taxes and other, you know, other forms of taxation. But yet, are our needs being met? Like transportation, do we have a, a 
good comp of good reliable transportation system. Well, let's talk and about that for a second. Hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. Usually, I talk to the uh, every candidate that I interview on this show. I ask them, "Well, what's the number one issue that your your constituents are telling you about?" But I don't have to ask with the West End. It is traffic and it is transit. Period. Yeah. End of story. I mean, there's just no point in asking. So let's talk about this. Um, what do you think Miami-Dade County needs to do if you were elected? What would you do to advance the cause of reducing traffic, increasing transit? in Miami-Dade County? Yeah, well, the first thing is doing an audit of the budget, right, to figure out where that money is going, why it is that, that, that our transportation is lacking, why it is that, that the county is not funding a transportation system that is running on a, you know, a scheduled time. So that we know that the bus is supposedly going to come out at a quarter after that. We know that we can go to the bus stop at a quarter after, and we will expect the bus. You know, that would be a miracle. We also have to look at, we also have to look at how that money is being spent and why it is. Again, I repeat repetitive, but it's very important to see where that money is being spent. And then make the proper adjustments in the budget to ensure that we, the taxpayers, are getting a return on our investment on our money. But it's not just as simple as you know, transportation, as in ensuring we have more buses on the road, or whether it be rail. We also have to start looking at how to keep people in their communities for work. Many of the people... I read, an, I read a paper about seven years ago, and it was a white paper on the population of the county, western part of the county, Miami-Dade, mainly Kendall. And it, and it estimated that one-eighth of the county's population lived out in West Dade. But yet, wow. 78, 79% of that population transport would drive north and east for work. Why? Sounds about right. Look, we have... We have an incredible system. We have an incredible properties out there. We can be friendly to corporations that are friendly to the environment, that are friendly to the community, that, that are responsible, that would want to come out to West State and employ people in higher than, you know, living wage salaries, right? Higher than what's normally out there. You know, we personally, have industries, targeted industries. Uh-huh. Personally, every time I drive down, say, Sunset or Kendall, I, I just I look at these giant parking lots and I just think to myself, there's wasted space. They could build something on top of that. And that could be a, you know, urban environment. You, they could build apartments and offices. And I mean, the Kendall Mall, for example, I mean, it's a gigantic, gigantic piece of property. And two-thirds of it is parking, and, and I feel like we just have a very outdated uh, zoning system in Miami-Dade County. It's really aimed to create suburbs. Yeah, man. We, we have, we have a, you know, Miami-Dade is the gateway to the Americas, no doubt. We have an evolving society. We have young people that are educated way beyond what people of my generation were. We have older folks that are equally gaining in, the, in you know, get, improving their public, I mean, their education, quality of their education. So we have a workforce that's ready and eager. We just have to make sure through policies that we responsibly, you know, make it favorable for companies to come out, you know, tech companies that are economically, I mean, environmentally friendly. They, they can come out to West State. You know, we have an airport, the executive airport out on West State. You know how much transport, transport being, transportation being one of the key economic drivers in the state. Well, can we play into that? Can we have some smart companies come out? Can we employ people? And how do, and how do we geo-grow grow our economy geographically at the local level? I'm eager to get on that commission and really 
flip things up, right? Um, because we need innovative thinking. And by the way, these are not my ideas. These are the ideas of the people that I represent. When I got elected, I think you were one of the people that told me, make sure you have inclusion in your community. Make sure your community has access to you. Make sure you listen to your community. Well, I've been listening. And there's a lot of need. But we have to come up with an innovative way to reverse the traffic and keep people locally. And therefore, we will address some of the transportation issues, right? Some some of the um, – we'll reduce our carbon footprint, definitely, without doubt. And we'll also be able to keep people, you know, in, a, in an environment that they're going to be happier. We have a great county. I can't say it enough. We have great institutions. We have great infrastructure. Now we just need policymakers that are going to think out of the box and are really going to work for the people instead of working for individual groups of people, small groups of people that are just making the profit and hurting all of us. Well, uh, Robert, I can't thank you enough for coming on the program tonight. It's really been my pleasure to tell everybody about your run for District 11 County Commission to, to be the, the first Democrat representing that area in quite some time. Tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and your website, and then we got to take off. On Twitter, I'm at Rep Asensio right now, and on Facebook, Robert Asensio. To drop me a line or on the phone number, they can call my number is 305-202-1441. Look forward to speaking to everyone. Well, Robert, thank you for joining me on the show tonight. Bye now. And that's all the time we have for tonight's Only in Miami show. We'll be back next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show.